10 or 11 and uh, my family got this huge set of knives and there was just this humongous butcher, this huge butcher knife was like glisten, <laughs> glistening and so sharp. And I remember I picked it up and I was standing at like the, the island in the kitchen and the, the top of the island was this like butcher block kind of material. And I held the knife in my hand and I just, I couldn't help it. I just, mm, oh, I just stabbed it right to the top of the counter. <laughs> did it make like a mark? Like a deep yeah, mark? there was like a big like indentation in it. <laughs> what, and did I, you, what did you say happened? I didn't say anything. I was, I did not, I did not claim responsibility for this so my family's listening sorry that was me um so yeah I've, i have experienced that same thing i am so tired today no you're not okay i'm no i'm not i'm not tired i'm drinking coffee as we do at 11 o'clock at night as we record this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but we've had sort of a long um a long week a long week yes yeah. um and it has felt i almost said a long couple of weeks because that's what it feels like but mm-hmm. before we move on to talking about interesting things today um we have some lies to tell about our patreon supporters love these lies also we hit a hundred likes on facebook oh! what <laughs> and i got a message from facebook that said um, to celebrate your first 100 likes, we're offering you this $5 credit. It's like the same $5 credit they've been offering me. This $5 credit towards boosting one of your posts. And it was like the stupid post I made that said like, hey guys, episode five is out. Signed, Wyatt. And it was like, you could reach like 50 more people with this. I was like, no, I don't think I can. And I just, <laughs> I don't understand the marketing system. But um, if you guys want to support the podcast, uh, we have lots of different tiers available for you to offer your support. We love it. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash manic episodes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. Do you want to start us off, honey? Yes. Today. Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> I want to say congratulations to Shella for winning the local chili cookout. <laughs> I heard they blew the competition just out of the water. Oh my God. Congratulations. What a brilliant culinary mind. Shayla. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, mazel tov to Mia who swam 50 miles to help her cousin make cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> The layers to that one. You like it? It's really good. <laughs> Just kept un- unfolding and unfurling. Um, do you know who's having the best week ever? Who? Sarah. Why? She actually found a fossil in her yard. <laughs> you would love that, wouldn't you? Good Lord, give me a fossil in you, my yard, you please. You would love that. Um, we have a gross story about finding things in the backyard we can share later. Oh, my God. Huge thanks to Raquel for helping me plant 5,000 sunflowers that spell out high plane as a message to planes flying overhead. Jesus. That's so good. As I was writing it, I was like, I can't. This is insane. It's my favorite. Really? You ever come up with? Okay. Big, big bragging rights go to Vanessa <laughs> for wrestling three alligators at once yesterday. Oh. It's like, all, it's almost unbelievable. What an ath- what an incredible athletic feat. Yes. Wow. Congratulations. That was Vanessa? Yes. Wow, Vanessa, you never cease to amaze. Um, kudos to Emma for becoming the first astronaut to do jumping jacks in space. Oh my God. It seems impossible. It's Trust me, it's not. Um, <laughs> there's no video of Emma doing this, but we're just... We're just, we're going to have faith that it happened. Yeah. Uh, huge congrats to Madeline, who crocheted the world's longest scarf. <laughs> we have so many record-setting friends. Patrons. Yes, yes. Patreons. Yes. Unbelievable. Unreal. 
Hope found my favorite belt from high school, the one with <laughs> bottle caps all over it, and she didn't make fun of me for it. She just returned it. She was in a box of stuff I was donating, and she was like, wait, don't you love this belt? Thanks, Hope. <laughs> that one does not deserve the airtime that we're giving it. Big congratulations to Mo, who won Best Revolutionary War Reenactor last month. <laughs> For the, like, third month in a row, Third right? month in a row. <laughs> um, which side is she on? Uh, <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> She's verse. Oh, yeah. That, oh, my God. That's hot. That's sexy. Um, Sari, you shouldn't have. She saw that I left my Reese's peanut butter cups in direct sunlight on my passenger seat. Oh. So she texted me like, no, <laughs> before they both melted. And so by the time I got to them, they were like perfectly supple. Thanks, Sari. On fire today. Uh, big thank you to Sam for helping me find my keys today. They were in the couch. Oh, the whole time? The whole time. And Sam said, maybe they fell out of your pocket into the couch. Sam... The first place you should look is the last place you do look. Yeah, it's true. And the couch just eats stuff. Yes. Everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Chicoa packed a picnic for us and we rode horses to the moon. It's just <laughs> absurd. Sorry, Chicoa. Um, I'll do better next time, I promise. It was really, really stupid. I liked it. So I want to say to Rex, my little sweetie, um, he polished the wood grain on the dash of my Mercedes until it glistened so brightly in the sunlight that it's almost a safety hazard. So thank you, my little terminus. That's my, it's my little brother, by the way. I saw that he popped up as a Patreon supporter and I squealed. We just so love him. Cute. Love you, sweetie. Finally, one non-lie. Um, Bobby, who um, has been on board with our Patreon since the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, would like us to dedicate his shout-out to Dustin Parker, um, who is a trans man and activist who was killed um, in Oklahoma on New Year's Day. May he rest in power and may we all live in a way that honors his life, work, and spirit. Yes, agreed. And thank you, Bobby, for uh, dedicating your shout-out to him. And thank you, Bobby. Okay, so can I complain now? Yeah, lay it on me. I'm really tired. I yes. I'm consistently not getting enough sleep. Are you going to talk on this podcast at all? I hate this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time you told me. <laughs> so we wanted this episode to sort of focus on our relationship with religion, specifically both being Christian and both yes. being Episcopalian mm-hmm. and being gay. Yeah. Because I think for... Um, I would say most gay Christians, there's a, a history of like real trauma. Absolutely. You know, like it's really damaging. At the very least, it's going to be a tense, fraught relationship. Yes. But you don't really have that because we've kind of talked about it before. Right. And we've talked about it on the pod before, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, in our We're Here, We're Queer episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about kind of the state of our relationship with religion right now. Mm-hmm. And I talked about the fact that um, growing up in the Episcopal Church, and I went to an Episcopal school for 12 years, a parochial school, I did not experience that message directly from the church, Mm -hmm. but I should have clarified something last time. I didn't get that directly from the church that I attended or from, but I definitely heard it everywhere else. So I heard homophobia encoded as religious doctrine. Right. All over the place. Right. And you did, too. Yes. The churches that you attended did. Yes. Yes. The reason this topic feels particularly pressing now Mm -hmm. is because you are working on a project that touches on this very thing. Yes. Um, You told me that you are 
in a place where you can talk about it. Yes. And uh, this is the documentary that you mentioned a few pods ago. Yes. Um, which is facilitating you building your studio at the house. Yes. Yes. Um, but why don't you um, introduce our manic fam yeah. to this project so that they can start looking forward to it? So the project is called uh, Lost in Translations, and it's a documentary um, directed by um, this woman, Rocky. It really starts like as her relationship with the church. Her father is like a Bible Belt pastor, I mm-hmm. think. He's like, super Baptist and she's gay. Mm -hmm. And I think as many of us like within the church and affected by the church that are queer, it's so frustrating when you have family members that sort of hide behind scripture as an excuse for homophobia, as an excuse for prejudice. Um, And so I think that's where this project initially came from. Um, And she heard of a couple that had done this kind of groundbreaking research just a few years ago. These two people that had been doing this research, they wanted to find out the first time the word homosexual entered the Bible. Growing up and still up until I had heard about this, I thought homosexual was in the Bible like hundreds of years ago. Like I thought, I didn't think it was a a recent word that had been entered. No, I thought it was like in the original iteration of the Bible. That's what I thought too. Right, or whenever the earliest translations that were made available to people. Get this. The first time the word homosexual entered the Bible was 1942. I thought that that was encoded in the Bible in a way that was like ancient. Right. I thought that was in like ancient texts. That's what I thought. So that's I think that's mind blowing to me. I think that's what most people think. And so that's why it's so fucking insane that that isn't discussed. Like it hasn't been talked about. Is it only one time that that word is used? Cause I thought that I'd heard um, some Looney Tunes talking about like Leviticus and yeah, it it's mentioned in the Bible. I think the word homosexual is mentioned three times. So how did it get there? Um, a group of white men, um, in 1942 were wanting to update the translations for the more recent Bibles. Man, white men in 1942 were getting (coughs) busy doing some bad stuff, weren't they? Yes. That that was a World War II reference. Yes. Go ahead. They wanted to update the Bible. They wanted to make it, uh, not necessarily more accessible, but they just wanted to update the translations. So... They took two words that have no relationship to the word homosexual. They decided to change it to homosexual Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, nobody said anything. Uh, There was one seminary student who was like 21 at the time who sent a letter to them. And so this is where the evidence sort of gets really damning. So he sent a letter to this group of men and said, you got this wrong. Like, it's very clear that this is a mistranslation. And if you print this, this is potentially going to be damaging for so many people. The implications of this are really dangerous. And apparently the, the translation team sent a letter back and admitted that it was incorrect, but that they weren't going to change it. What has always struck me about that word being in the Bible is that as far as I know, or what I've heard is it's not like there was some acceptable way of being an out gay person in biblical times. Right. So that wasn't like a defined category of being in the world. So that, I guess in that respect, it never really felt totally right to me. Right. But so was this like a genuine mistake or was this people like, 
intentionally moralizing about homosexuality. I think the stance of the documentary, and I think it's an important conservative stance to have, is that it was a genuine mistake. And obviously I have my personal beliefs, which is what's absolutely like internalized homophobia. It is like overt homophobia. It's, it's fear-based. It's like, it's absolutely on purpose. On the other side of this, you're, you're making me think of this queer theorist named Jonathan Katz, who wrote this book called The Invention of Heterosexuality, Mm. who talks about how the first the the emergence of words like heterosexuality, like that was invented as a category, like in opposition to gayness, you know, Mm. like to homosexuality. Like nobody talked about being straight. It's just, you know, that was just the way things were. Yeah. So heterosexuality or that word first showed up in like medical dictionaries in the early 1900s as like a perverse form of like being overly attracted to the opposite sex. Wait, heterosexuality? Heterosexuality, yeah. And so it wasn't until the thirties that that came to mean like, Oh, that's just like a normal way of being attracted to people. So I think it's interesting that those things happened like sort of around the same time. Um, because I mean, we saw this kind of happen with the category of whiteness being invented, Mm, right? That it was only sort of in opposition to black and brown people that these white people from disparate places, you know, from Italy and Poland and Ireland Mm -hmm. sort of invented this category of whiteness that they could sort of bond over. Mm. I just think it's interesting how language does is language so intensely shapes our thoughts Mm -hmm. that I think it matters that they said homosexuality, even that word Mm -hmm. and not like, what, what does it say somewhere else in Leviticus? Like, man shall not lie with another man or something Mm -hmm. like even just like putting a name on it sort of pathologizes it in this way. Right. right? Yeah. So it's incredibly dangerous. And I love that this documentary is being made. Um, And of course I'm like incredibly honored to, I, I can't honestly, to me, this feels like it feels like when I got the call to do same love, it felt like if this, I feel like it's part of my mission in life to talk about this. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I've been feeling like I've been flailing for a little while career wise. Like I'm just not totally sure what I'm mm-hmm, doing. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like stabbing at tables in the dark. Um, <laughs> <just kidding>. You're <laughs> smashing uh, plates just to see what happens. Kind of. Um, and since I've been working on this, I just feel like I'm back on my mission. I'm right. back on what I'm like my my service. Right. And right. I just, it feels really good to me. Well, and it's interesting cause I think like, I feel like such a cheese dick asking you a question about same love. <laughs> I'm about to though. Okay, please. Did you, um, what was it like working with Macklemore? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask cause the melody, the melody of the, I'm being serious. Okay. I'm sorry. The melody of the chorus, like almost sounded a little familiar to me when I first heard it. Cause it's like, I'm going to pop some tags. Oh like, my <laughs> God. That's stupid. That was stupid. <laughs> did it have a religious undertone to you? Like, did it feel re- like a religious experience to you when you recorded it and released it? A hundred percent. I think you're asking also about the process. Yes, like did yeah. the process also feel as divine? Right. As Not the message that, maybe. Right. right. Um, because I mean, as I feel like people that have listened to it and have ties to the church understand the references of I'm not crying on Sundays. Right. right. And, um, you know, love is patient. Love is kind mm-hmm. as a, you know, a verse from the Bible. And I think 
and I, so I think those themes were, you know, subversive and cool like that. Um, the actual process of it and when it fell into my lap felt very divine. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, I don't think a lot of people know this, but I, I mean, I was playing, you know, venues to like four people. I once I had to, at that time I had to pay to play a venue. Like I, I paid like $70 to play this show that four people came to. Um, that's where I was in my career. I was, you know, bartending and, um, you know, waiting tables. I had three jobs. So what was divine about this, what to me, what felt divine is that I was working three jobs at the time. I was working probably about 60 to 70 hours a week. Good Lord. And then I, I never had a day off. Mm-hmm. It was my first day off in like three weeks. And I got a call from my friend Hollis. Love her. And she said, um, Macklemore has a song he needs a chorus on like, what are your, can you, can you come down here today? And I was like, holy shit, I almost dropped the phone. And I just felt like in what world do I have this day off? I never right. have days off because yeah. I'm very loyal to, to when I like work on something. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have gone. Wow. Really? I, th- I no, I couldn't have canceled that my job. There's like people counting on you and, right. and stuff. I might've like tried to scramble to That's get something else, else done. But so then I went in or then it was like, I went home and just felt like, Oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I listened to the song and I was just so moved. And I came up with four different courses like that. Wow. They came to me so quickly. Um, and then I went to, Does, did writing usually not come that quickly to you? No, 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 no. I'm very like, uh, so I if mean, you hadn't had that one, like in the whole story, you came up with that, with those, yes, with that on the spot. Yeah. Within wow. like, within like two hours, it just felt, there are, I will say there are songs that have come to me really quickly like that, Yeah, but that one in particular just felt like this. It felt like it came from somewhere special. Yeah. It felt like this. Also the stakes were so high that I, I normally I would have been so nervous and maybe I would have like, you know, anxiously rid myself of my creative potential. Right. Right. But, um, and then when I went into the studio, like three hours from then and recorded exactly what's on the album. Wow. And when I sang it for, for, for Macklemore and Ryan, I like, it, they were just, they loved it. And so we just, we just tracked it there and I didn't talk to them again for like three months. I didn't know what happened with the song or anything like that. Oh, but wow. I just knew I was like, this feels big. It feels really important. And not just like in terms of my career, but in terms of social impact. Uh-huh. And at that point I had been trying to write a worship song for, um, my friend's church. And I'd also tried to write a song for like, for the uh, pride parade. Uh And I couldn't for, in both cases, I was having a big mental block writing these songs. Uh So for me, it felt like, holy shit. It's, it's, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's supposed to sound like this. It's supposed to feel like this. It's about love. It's not about like, that's always how I felt Uh, being a gay Christian was I'm going to approach this not by reason, not by lecturing, Mm -hmm. but just by example. And that 
you're going to be, you're going to fall in love with me. You're going to like me for as I am. And then you're going to find out I'm gay. And then you're going to have to contend with that. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to sort of like invent your own place that felt good to you within Christianity or was that offered to you? So Mm. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, did you, did that place exist or did you have to sort of like carve it out both actually and rhetorically and sort of like set up shop there. Yeah. I think the latter, I think it was, it was really, I I didn't feel welcome in most spaces and places. Right. Um, I, as I mentioned, um, in our earlier podcast episode, I attended Mars Hill Uh in Seattle and that was the most like, a uh, sneaky, sneaky homophobic, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> you know where they're like, we love gay people, be friends with gay people, but if you partake in homosexual activities, you are sinning, and um, you know, obviously you're welcome here, but just know, you know, we do believe that that's a sin, and we, that you know that's that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just feeling devastated because it's a place that I felt like home. And I remember just feeling like I was not welcome. And also that's kind of like, that's a huge mind fuck, especially when you're like a teenager already to hear that it is to hear, to hear a Christian community say it's okay to be gay, but you are sinning. (laughs) Right. I like, how do you wrap your head around that? And I think that's honestly like the, the, um, the stance I think a lot of Christians take right right. at this point, because, you know, same sex marriage is legal. Now they have to contend with it some way of like, okay, it's fine. Do whatever you want. Right. But just know that you're sinning, but Hey, all sin is equal. So when I swear or when somebody cheats on their husband, (sighs) that's, you know, all sin is forgiven. Uh huh. And that sort of was my mentality for a long time, which was like, well, I'll just, you know, murderers go to heaven. So I'm just going to, you know, repent. <laughs> right. And it's not like I, it's not like I killed somebody. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time. So I was like a church fiend. Uh-huh. I would go to church from like six to eight at Mars Hill. And then I would drive to Capitol Hill in Seattle and I would go to St. Mark's Cathedral from nine 30 to 10. So I had like Sunday was my church day. Um, I just, I fucking love church. I just love it. I love the community. I love the tradition. Mm-hmm. I love, are you just saying love like present tense? Yeah. I love it. Too. Like it never, you never stopped loving. It. I never stopped loving church. Really? Yeah. I mean, there was that, there was the period of time after I left Mars Hill that I was really, really bummed out, but I still went to St. Mark's Cathedral. I just think it's really unusual to, uh, to hear a queer person who's like, well, I got turned off by this particular church that said I was going to hell and didn't welcome me, but I still love the idea of church or I still loved God or, yeah. you know, I still like, I just, I think that's unusual to, to like maintain a love for it mm. in, in, in the face of that. I, I don't think I would have maintained a positive relationship if, if it had been as hostile to me as it was to yeah. you. Yeah. I don't know if that was by design or just sort of because you loved it so much and you loved the pageantry and the theatrics and the, I think it's rooted in empathy because I think I understood, you know, what it was is because I adopted the same sort of philosophy. I don't talk about this a lot, but there was a period of time where I was like, well, yeah, gay people are going to hell (laughs) and I just feel bad for them and I I don't want them to go to hell, but that's inevitable. The Bible says so. Right. Um, so 
I'm empathetic to that interpretation because that's what is fed to most people. Right. Queer people hate to hear this, but I do believe that when somebody says, you know, love the sin or hate the sin, I honestly believe they feel that they're rooted in love. They feel that they are offering you a deep kindness by telling you you're going to hell. What do you think is the line? Because earlier you said that, you know, you mentioned family members who are homophobic, but hide behind scripture. Mm -hmm. So you would say that it's not rooted in homophobia to say love the sin or hate the sin. It's it's homophobic, but they believe that it's loving. So do you believe in the existence of like a, of homophobia, sort of like a A loving homophobia, right? A homophobia (laughs) that's like genuinely motivated by love. Yeah. The word hate or being repelled is in the word. Yeah, I think I do. Really? I think that's complicated. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I see it. I, it's just, I think it's complicated. Yes. I don't know if it's just that, but that's very interesting. Very good question. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I can see the mindset. Right. I understand where it's coming from, mm-hmm. but the way that it's received and the way that it like... there's there's someone's perspective and then there's the truth right right but i believe that people intend to do well just in general they really intend to be good i just understand where it comes from because if you you know especially if you're you know a fundamentalist christian where you believe the actual letter to the Bible, you follow it to a T, supposedly, then of course that you're going to be your natural belief is that that's what the Bible says. The Bible is the word of God. You can't divorce those two. Right. So naturally, this is what I believe. Yeah. And what I hope this documentary does and what I hope to do in my lifetime is poke holes in that. Right. And this is what I had always felt as I remember when I stopped going to Mars Hill, I said, if we as the Christian community agree that the only perfect thing in the world is God, the only Uh perfect thing that ever existed was Jesus. Uh If we believe that, then we have to give leeway for translators of the Bible. Yes, I believe they are like called to do God's work. They feel compelled to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that. But that doesn't mean that they are free from sin, which means that they're, they're, they're not free from their own prejudices or faults. Sure. So we have, I think we have to look at the Bible critically and say that not all scripture is the word of God. I I worry sometimes about like some of these arguments, like preaching to the converted, you know, to use an apt biblical um, analogy. But do you think that that would be a persuasive argument to people who are Christian and believe that being gay is a sin? Like this, this film. Do you think? I hope so. And I think it's being framed that way. I think that it's like, it's appealing. I have, I have this belief 
that okay so for example the Westboro Baptist Church mm-hmm. the super radical fundamentalist wacky looney tunes church in uh, Kansas or whatever yeah. it is that is that preaches a bunch of like really out there mm-hmm. um, not just like fire and brimstone type stuff yeah, but, but like really cult, out there culty stuff right culty like stuff more right cult. like that God invented you know God yeah. caused AIDS and you know that gay people are burning in hell and that you know mm-hmm. but also weird like thank God for dead soldiers and all kinds of weird stuff yeah, so right. they have this really incoherent kind of philosophy I think that they have done actually the LGBTQ community a huge disservice in a non-obvious way so not in the way they talk about gay people I think they created this like sort of scarecrow of like this is what fundamentalist scary hateful Christianity really looks like and we're not that Right. Wow. I like, haven't thought of that. That's really out there. So they can sort of point to something that looks to be really like a really dramatic iteration of their philosophy so they can wow. position themselves more in the mainstream. Kind of the same way that I think, you know, moderately racist Republicans will point to. Totally. You know, I, I was going to say the Tea Party that was 100 years ago. You know what I mean? Like they'll, the, they'll, they'll be like, well, we're not the Ku Klux Klan. Right. Exactly. We're not the Charlottesville, you know, people yeah. marching with Tiki Torch. So we're not really that bad. Or I think if you can isolate something like that within your own kind of group, you mm-hmm. can say, well, those are just a few bad apples. Like those are the outliers. Mm-hmm. We are actually a lot more moderate and a lot for a lot more loving and respectful. Yeah. Like, I don't think I think a lot of people thought, oh, if I can just show you a mirror, like this is what you look like when you spread homophobia you know, maybe you'll stop doing it. But I think they see that as being like really, you know, this, you know, like the behavior of outliers, you know? Um, and I saw, um, in the trailer for lost in translations, there was a, um, you know, some guy with an awful sign screaming in this woman's face. And he was, he's saying, you know, um, Matthew Shepard's burning in hell today too. And you're going to, you're going to burn in hell too. If you, if you don't change your ways or whatever. Um, and, um, there's part of me that wants to believe somebody would see that and say, Oh my God, I need to really look critically at my own church and make sure we're not doing this. But I think they could also say like, Oh, well that's, that's, you know, that's That's extreme. The lunatic fringe. Right. You know, we're not doing that. I know I'm blabbing, but it reminds me of like, you're right. The difference between like moderate environmentalists and the people who will like, you know, like bomb SUV dealerships, you know, or I, it's really hard for me to feel a difference between if you're, you know, God, God gave the gay community AIDS and you're all going to hell versus like, you know, I love you. I just don't love the fact that you're sinning. At some point, those started to feel really similar to me. Yeah. yeah. But I hear you as I get older, the more I'm like, well, I mean, if you love me, like, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You know, like I, I'll take anything I can get. Yeah. Well, I think I will say the other part of this that I think will be helpful. And I, you know what? I'm reminded of when I was 17 or 18, the movie, uh, the documentary for the Bible tells me so had just come out. The premise for the Bible tells me so is it follows three or four gay people and talks about their relationship with the church and the relationship with their parents. And I think, there's three of them that have pretty much been excommunicated by their churches. They do follow the story of uh, a woman who committed suicide 
because um, her mom disowned her mm. and they interview her mom who was obviously, you know, sort of come around right. and, and realize that she's made a huge mistake and they interview Christian families of gay people that, you know, still have sort of the, the twisted harmful way of thinking right. and the one part of it that stuck for me mm-hmm. when I watched it when I was 17 or 18 was that they they talked a little bit about the theology they actually broke down some of the um of I think it was Corinthians where they say it is an abomination for a man to lie with another man and they also said that abomination actually just meant um, it's not culturally of the norm because why would it be an abomination to eat shellfish? Shellfish. Right, right. So they're, they're, sort of laying stuff out. In a similar way to the doc you're working on. Yes, but I would say what was so helpful and what I, this is what I'm trying to get at is that though this documentary that, that we're working on might be preaching to the choir, it might give a lot of comfort to, to queer kids that are Christians, oh, to, right. to other people like myself that still feel pull and a tie to the Christian community and mm-hmm. church and don't know how to reconcile their faith with their, you know, sexuality. And here is, here it is, because I think for so many of us that grew up in the Christian church that feels so harmed by it, here's the evidence that we have always known and felt in our hearts. That's, you know, and I realize now it was insensitive for me to suggest that it was preaching to the choir. No, 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 no. I think you're totally right. I I think it's a concern, but I think you're right that that feels like maybe more of the audience that, you know, to, to try to like, I think it's part of a project to help people unlearn that self-loathing mm-hmm. and this like internalized process of just, you know, the f- feeling as if you are doing something sinful and aren't able to change it mm-hmm. is just, I think, so damaging to your psyche and to yes. your confidence and your feeling that you can do other good, meaningful things in the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're probably right. I think that's probably closer to who it's intended for. Yeah. And I, I, oh, I'm hoping that I got everything right too. the details about it. I, I might've messed a, a few things up, but, um, actually the trailer comes out tomorrow. Oh, does it? Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Well, maybe we'll link to it. Yeah. With music by Mary Lambert. Do you think the, I say the church knowing that it's like too big an institution to pin down in a particular way. Um, it's almost even when people talk about, you know, the Catholic church being, you know, uh, held accountable for things like the systematic cover up of, you know, sexual abuse by priests and things like that. The, it's such a sprawling, massive institution that it's kind of like the financial crisis. It's like, we get so mad that we're sort of just like spraying vitriol and punishment everywhere, but it's not, it's, it's such a big spread out kind of, you know, there are so many people involved with that yes. level of wrongdoing yes. that it's hard to really feel like anybody's ever really vindicated. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering, so with that being said, the church as like a big concept, do you think that, do you think it will be able to get back into queer people's good graces again? Do you think it's too late for the church? Is a PR crisis just too deep 
is there anything for gay people to eat or queer people to even get out of church? Is it, or is this a really personal relationship or are you suggesting that people give it another try? This is a recruitment. Uh, oh. This is a recruitment podcast. That's what actually this has been the whole time. <laughs> Just your classic uh, cool pastor bait and switch. No, I think it's a really personal experience. And we're going to need way more money. <laughs> Um, it's for Jesus's limo when he comes back. Cool. Um, I think that I think that the church has done egregious, um, despicable things to our community, and I think if they are going to make amends or make it right, yeah, yeah, change the ideology, you know. It, it's going to take a long time and it's it's going to have to be really, really serious and really loud. And I think then sort of the conversation can really happen for that bridge to be made. Yeah. But I would say that I do believe that there are gay people that are queer people that miss having a relationship with the church. Yeah. Um, and that. And they don't feel like there's a place for them. And sure. I would say also, like, unless you live in a place that has an affirming church, you're not going to be able to go to church. I'm just incredibly grateful to, for the Episcopal Church. That being said, this is not like an advertisement for the Episcopal Church. But I think the Episcopal Church can be a really good lesson in how an institution can evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Episcopal Church is not perfect. Right. But I do think it's an example of... Um, at least tending toward actually enacting this belief in like God's love being accessible to and reaching everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, like a really radical message of love. I yeah. think that that's possible, you know? And I've, I have felt too, that that sort of, um, I guess within the Christian community, it's, it's, it's radical, but that sort of belief is actually really closely related to Judaism because I think for, you know, for most Jewish people that I know, it's like, it's not even a thing. Like being gay is not even a, a thing. It's not really an issue. That And that's wild to me because it is all over the Old Testament. That's where it is, right? Well, we think that... Well, right. Okay, that makes sense. But it's it's not. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. The, the Bible sort of just gives a, a convenient way to couch much deeper sort of fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like, you know, people who don't know any queer people, I think they a lot of the times are just responding to this sort of like ick factor that they yeah. develop, you know. Um, even though I didn't get hateful messages about being queer from my church... I told you about this recently, one of the darker days in my adult life, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but I I can't stress enough how devastating this day was for me, um, was in 2012. And I'm sure that people will remember this, but I was living in Arkansas. So I was living in the South because you remember this day kind of vaguely, but I don't think it really resonated with you quite as much. Mm -mm. In 2012, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, who is a guy named, I think, Dan Cathy. 
gave this interview where he spoke publicly about Chick-fil-A as a company being supportive of the family and um, being opposed to same-sex marriage um, based on their, you know, principles. They're super Baptist, you know, they're not open on Sundays, if that tells you anything. In response to that, Mike Huckabee, who was the, you know, a a talk show host, a conservative pundit, and uh, the former governor of the state I was living in, announced that he wanted there to be um, a Chick-fil-A appreciation day for people to go to Chick-fil-A and just buy something there just to show support for what Kathy had said and for Chick-fil-A's religious principles. So I remember driving to campus and there was a Chick-fil-A just right across from campus. It was always swamped, but this day was, there were just cars around the block just snaking as far as the eye could see and a little tiny group of protesters but most of it was just like lines out the door and i got home from uh, school i remember and turned on the national news because it was it was a story that it was just this record-breaking day for chick-fil-a that had massive sales to the point that huckabee said in an interview that he was giddy about the support that people showed for chick-fil-a and I was watching TV and there was like an aerial shot of a Chick-fil-A in Georgia with a line that just looked like it went on forever of cars. And Dan Cathy, the CEO, was like thanking people in the drive through line for supporting Chick-fil-A. And I just never seen a visual representation of how many people hated me mm-hmm. and my relationship and my capacity for love. And like it just felt for the first time like I could I could actually visualize it. And I remember when I drove past that line of cars in Arkansas, seeing people and being like, I, I live, I live near you guys. Like you're my neighbors, you're my coworkers. Like we all root for the same football team. Like we all go to the same restaurants and grocery stores. What are you doing? Like, what is this? And it felt like also, you know what it felt like? Mm. It felt like for the first time they were showing their faces. Right. Because we don't go to the churches where they talk about this kind of stuff. No. You don't get to see who's listening to the conservative weird talk radio in their cars. You don't know that. Yeah. You know when people have the weird bumper stickers and stuff, but people... I think have enough social grace to usually keep this themselves. So for the first time I was like, Oh shit, you're out in public sort of admitting it. You know, you know, you've, you've asked me before. I think you've been a little surprised at how like vehemently opposed to Chick-fil-A I am. And that's why it's rooted in this feeling of, and I think that, I was, I counted myself really fortunate actually to have that feeling when I did in 2012, because I think so many people feel that way every single day are in positions where they feel that alienated and that pushed away from the church. I think that's what you felt. Right. And your kind of survival technique for a lot of that was to internalize it and just say like, you're right. I am bad. Like I am worthy of being, of being hated and being pushed away. Um, and even now when, um, when people that I know and love go to Chick-fil-A, it feels like I'm just being slapped across the face. And I know that's so silly. It's like, it's a fast food restaurant. It's a chicken joint. No, but I think collectively we have to, and I know I'm going to get like, we're going back into like capitalism. Oh, <laughs> theory yeah, let's stuff. do it. But like, I'm going to put my, my Marxist hat on. Yes. But like, if we believe about creating any sort of <laughs> the beanies on, I put on the Marxist beanie. Um, if we believe in any sort of meaningful 
concrete, tangible change that is done with money. Oh, yeah. You decide where your money's going to yep. go. That's where you show your support. Yeah. And in fact, do you remember this happened with Target? Do you mm-hmm. remember Target underwent a radical culture change around LGBTQ issues around this same time, um, it was revealed that they were donating to all these anti-LGBT causes. And then they did a really dramatic about face in response to public pressure. Mm. And um, I remember that um, Lady Gaga had some album come out that she did some exclusive thing with Target and that marked like sort of their big pivot toward being accepting. And now they're really you know they, yeah but I, and I, I know that sounds so silly and yeah if we're like critiquing capitalism's role in all of this culturally that's going to send us down a different road but for now this is the world we live in mm-hmm. people are acculturated to things and adjust to new ideas and make decisions um, based on shit they see on TV and ads they hear and things mm-hmm. they buy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's an accident. Like I have actually heard people say like, I stopped hating gay people because of will and grace. Like this yeah. stuff matters. Yes. Um, I think it matters for this idea of um, like God's love to be something that is inclusive. I think that it matters that message gets out. Yes. And I think it especially matters because I'm imagining like, what if this became something that got really circulated in like Christian circles, like Mm -hmm. kind of like youth group type of circles. Yes. Cause it's so powerful when that happens. Yes. I don't know why my brain is stuck in 2012 today, but do you remember that Coney 2012 thing? Yes. That was all circulated by Christian groups. Yeah. Like Christian youth group type. Yeah. That was fucking huge. It was like you couldn't get away from it. It was everywhere. Yeah. So I'm just imagining like if this were to be perpetuated in that way, I think it would really deeply matter. I think so too. I think it would have a lasting impact. I think so too. Um, Now that is all to say if we are in the position of like wanting to save this as an institution, that there is something there to save. Yeah. Um, Or do we just like burn it all down? Yeah. And you can't talk people out of thinking something is funny, thinking something is sexy. Or their religious faith. We just can't talk them out of it. Like, if, if you're a true believer, you know, it, it's hard to argue against that. And that's the whole point of it. And you already made the joke about us not, we're not trying to, like, recruit people to be Christian. Yeah, no. This requires you to have that real true belief. But I wonder if there are people who believe truly and want a good relationship with God or with the church, but feel so pushed away by it mm. that maybe something like this might help invite them back into the fold if that's what they want. Yes. But do you understand somebody being so feeling so ostracized and having such animosity toward the church that they're like, screw that. I'm never going back. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like that's that's super. That's fine. You don't you know, you don't owe anybody shit for trauma you've experienced. Right. As long as you're I mean, in my my belief, like as long as you're not perpetuating anything or or being, you know, um, perpetuating a cycle of something else or, you know, I quote Denise Froman a lot and she says your trauma is probably not your fault, but your healing is your responsibility. Sure. So your healing from the church is your responsibility. It shouldn't be, but it is. Right. And so if part of your healing means that you're, you can't associate or, or like can't even have, like begin to think of a relationship with the Christian church, that's okay. Like, yeah. like, you know, I, I'm not of the belief that there's like one right way to have a relationship with God or believe in God at all. Right. I, don't, I mean, like I have, I think honestly, I relate so much closer to my atheist and agnostic friends than like I would say my older Christian friends. Yeah. And 
I, that makes me feel weird sometimes because I'm like, I just like logic and also science. Uh-huh. And I also believe this thing. And I'm also gay. I just feel like there's not a lot of us. <laughs> Do I, you know what I mean? Yes. I think I am out to more people as queer and gender nonconforming than I am as a Christian. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't talk about it a lot either. I talk about it sometimes, but it's not something I've had to... Like people have punished me for being Christian, right? Like that's just not in our culture. You're you're rewarded for that. You're, oh, you're, yeah. You're praised for that. It's like it's assumed that you are. Yeah, you, you haven't know? been persecuted for your religious beliefs. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a fucking break. Um, Although I love that. That's like the war on Christmas and the war on Christians and like, yeah, I, um, I spun really hard in the other direction, like late high school, uh, where my friends and I thought it was really funny to go to Barnes and Noble and move Bibles into the fiction section. <laughs> That's such a cute nerdy thing to do. And I read, um, I Oh, that. I was agnostic slash atheist at the time that that book came out. So I think, I wonder if we were experiencing that at the same time. Yeah. Atheism, the case against God by George H. Smith. And I remember like carrying it into my arm in a really prominent position. I think that everybody's relationship with God, the universe, anything is so sacred and individual. And there's obviously like, there's no one way to worship or live or understand. Right. I agree. It is. It is, there's no one right way to live. I, I agree. That's absurd to believe that everybody's supposed to have the same belief system. Right, I right. Think that's ridiculous. I will say one thing that I find tiresome is like the sort of Sam Harris branch of the internet that is like, it is my sole intellectual mission in life to shit on everyone for believing in God because it's inconsistent with, you know, logic. No fucking shit. The whole point of religious faith is that it is contrary to logic. Yes. That's why it's called faith. <laughs> belief in the absence of evidence or reason. Mm-hmm. So this whole, like, it's, I, I find it in particular to be this kind of personality that's just like hell bent on playing what Maria Bamford calls joy whack-a-mole. Just like whenever anybody's happy, happy about something, just slapping it down as quickly as you can. Um, but, uh, you know, for as much harm as it's done, I think there are lots of people who maybe do feel deeply wounded by the church, but want a good relationship with it for whom I think it's really healing to kind of reconsider this relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's also just as healing, just like with any other relationship that's not serving you to get the hell out of it. If yeah, it's not serving you anymore, right. especially after doing same love, I would say the most, most of the emails I received and, and messages and letters I got were from people within the church. But I remember this one woman in particular came up to me and she said, uh, she was a, she's a minister. And I think the Methodist church at the time, which, you know, as you know, they just like split into Mm -hmm. two sections. She said, I am in the closet. I'm a minister. I've been in the closet for 10 years and I don't think I can do it anymore. And I think that I I have to come out, but I know that I'm going to be kicked out of my position in the church. And I just want to thank you for your work and, um, you know, I know that I will have, you know, God's love regardless. And I just like, when, wow. I, when I think about it, like somebody, somebody just like, it's their whole life is, is the ministry yeah. and they have just devoted their entire life to it and they aren't going to be able to 
to show up and be in service of, you know, the same uh, belief system and God that, that people they serve believe in. Yeah. They don't get to do that work that's meaningful to them and important and is in service of the same, this same belief. I know I'm like spinning in circles, no, but I just, please. Like, it just, it fucking breaks my heart that the church has done so much damage. Yes. And we haven't even talked about Exodus. Like we haven't even talked about like gay conversion therapy that has like, I mean, can you, I, I'm thank God I never experienced anything like that, but I cannot imagine my best friend in high school, David, his parents, took him there. I think they told him, they told him he was going to go. They were taking him to Disneyland. Oh, and then God. took him to gay conversion therapy. And they had read his, his journal. And he said he had a crush on a boy and they, that's when they put him in. And, um, God, it's a, it's a wonder that so many of us turn out. Okay. And it's not because we're gay. It's because of our, the fucked up conditioning. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that damage. I think the, the, the fact that people stick around and want, you know, want to believe so badly in the goodness of, of God and of religion that they're like willing to fight to maintain that relationship in spite of all of this pain and hurt is unbelievable to me. Yeah. And I think a testament to how powerful religious faith can be in ways that I think very, you know, there's few things that can be that strong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I always, I know that this is so cheesy and I'm going to sound like a weird youth pastor, but I'm just going to say it because yeah. hearing me talk earnestly about Jesus might be sort of a shock. <laughs> I'm just such a rebel. I'll do it. I'm such a Jesus freak. <laughs> DC talk would say, I know this is so cliche. Jesus said absolutely nothing about homosexuality, right? Mm -hmm. Not, a, not, a, absolutely yep. not a word, not a word. And, um, his words are chronicled like pretty consistently across the gospels and, and, you know, pretty meticulously and right. Um, that never came up. And I always just think like that people who misinterpret scripture and who use it as an excuse to persecute gay people or subject people, you know, young queer people to conversion therapy mm -hmm. or make, um, you know, make young queer people, teenagers who are queer feel so alone and so ostracized and so hated that they take their own lives. I think I have to forgive them because I think that's the most powerful and consistent message that Jesus preached was forgiveness. And I just always think about the moment when he was crucified in between two thieves who were also put to death. And, you know, one of the thieves says to him, like, you know, accepts, accepts Jesus and says, you know, remember me when you get to your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like just, just forgiven. Right. Mm -hmm. And I also think about Jesus saying, you know, father, forgive them. They know not what they've done, right? Yeah. They, they don't know what they're, they don't know what they've done. That's how I always think of it is like, they deserve forgiveness and pity. And I think even though Jesus has tried over and over again, like the whole new Testament was like, forget the old ways. Like I'm the way, the truth, the life I'm, this is the message. Like I am bringing the mess. That's why it's the goddamn new Testament, right? Yeah. yeah. Like what I say from here on out goes. Yes. And the fact that he doesn't bring any of this up, he doesn't bring up being trans or or uh, being queer or, you know, like he doesn't say anything denigrating about women. Like the fact that none of this stuff is there, 
I, d- I don't know why we can cherry pick all this other stuff from the Old Testament, but ignore the fact that like Christ said, like, I'm, I'm coming here to tell you, like, this is the way this is the new way. I mean, way. it's the very foundation of our belief. Right. Yeah. As Christians, mm-hmm. it's in the word. Mm-hmm. Like we like if if you're if you're a devout Christian, then you believe in Christ. Mm-hmm. You believe in Christ's teachings. You like where? Why would you? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I would say from for me. Yeah, definitely. It was really Ugh. it was healing for me to focus on what yeah what jesus had said about forgiveness and redemption and you know like that's like you know like just a perfect pure message of radical love and acceptance from a long-haired um radical jewish hippie yeah i was thinking about what we were going to say for this podcast for this episode and i was thinking about uh because uh I was thinking about where I grew up in, in South Everett and the, like I was one of the only gay people in my high school and out gay people, obviously. And I remember the first time I saw like two women holding hands, I think I'd only seen it in downtown Seattle. And it was really important to me when I had, you know, when I was dating girls, like I, I was like, I really want to hold your hand in public, even yeah. if it's scary, because we could be that for somebody else. Yeah. And how important it is to keep holding hands, even though it's scary sometimes. But I remember one time we were holding hands, um, you know, my, my very first girlfriend and I, and um, someone came up to us and said, um, have you been saved? You need to be saved. And I was like, Oh, I've, I've been, we, we both go to church. Like, um, but do you, do you want to talk about it? You know, yeah. it was just like, it was really gratifying to be able to, to say that back, to use the same sort of language yeah. and like, let's have a discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I just feel for so many kids, teenagers, adults, all of us, anybody who's been hurt by the church. And I just wish I, I, I wish there was something done earlier. I wish so much of this hadn't happened. And I, I wish so deeply for the parents of queer kids to actually listen to Jesus's words. Yeah. For that, for that to be the the tenant of their, of their belief system and stop the cycle. Yeah. It's too too many too many kids have died. Yeah, too many people have committed suicide for 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 this. Yeah, like how how is something that's so rooted in Jesus's love been manipulated and harmed children? But you're part of a project that is gonna make such a huge difference in spreading that message. I hope so I just know it will. I just think about it. it; just devastates me. And like we have. Both. I mean, I know we talked about this, but like, like by so many statistics of like both of us being bipolar and queer and queer in the church, like there are so many like reasons we shouldn't be here. Yeah. I'm just so grateful that, that we're here, but I think about all of the people that aren't here Yeah, and that, you know, I was lucky because I had 
Like I went through, I still attempted suicide. My, my mom is in a, has been with her wife for 17 years. Yeah. I had an example of, yeah. I could only imagine what would happen if I had parents that didn't accept me or if I was kicked out for, right. for being gay. Like I just, I, in my heart just goes out to, to anybody who's like suffered at the hands of, of Christianity. And yeah. maybe that's part of where my like rose colored glasses come from because I have, I ha I had a great support system. Right. I, that's what I feel like too. Yeah. I mean, I, I did. Um, I had the same support system, but, um, maybe that's the message people need is a message from people who had a good support system yeah. saying like, we can be your support system now. Maybe yeah. not directly. Yeah. But you know, but yeah, but there's a community of people like us. A hundred percent. Okay. How do you feel? Like I just went to therapy. Do you want to pray, <laughs> pray about it? Oh, baby, that's so sweet. There's this comedian named Angela Johnson who talks about how like church is just an opportunity to like really loudly gossip about people. Like praying is just really loudly gossiping. So <laughs> to like say, okay, come on, get together, let's pray. Um, yeah, please pray for Jennifer because uh, she is pregnant. I don't know if anybody knew that. <laughs> Just love that. <laughs> so good. Oh, I did want to talk about what's our relationship with the church now? Oh, okay. Like, do, yeah. do we go to church? We go to church, yes. Uh, we go to church not uh, not every Sunday, but we've talked about the Taze, Taze? I never know what to say. Taze, Taze? We talked about that service in our We're Here, We're Queer episode. Oh, yeah. Um, so we do that. Um, we went to church on Christmas. Mm -hmm. the, having the church in my life is, is very important mm -hmm. to me. I want that to sort of ebb and flow based on what's going on in my life yes. and whether or not I feel like I need to draw totally. on it. And if it's bringing anything positive to me, like yes. I don't owe the church anything. Exactly. So I don't feel like I need to go there if I'm not feeling it. Even if I, I just like wake up one Sunday morning and I'm kind of sleepy, like yeah. I don't owe it to them. Yes. I don't want to go to church resenting church. Right. I want to go to church because it like fills my soul up. Right. And I don't want my kids to resent church. Yes. I, I, I want yeah. them to make that decision on their own. Like yeah. whether so we've, or not. We've talked about like not not bringing that directly to our kids and yeah. like really having, giving them the choice. Right. Exactly. Important. They'll have a choice about that. Um, I swear to God though, if they start rooting for the 49ers or like the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to add to this discussion? No, <laughs> no discussion done. Well then may we say, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Please pray for Mary. She is pregnant. <laughs> I wish. Me too. Okay. Do you want to talk about our obsessions? Yes. Is that what we do first? I don't know. Yeah, obsessions. Okay. Do you want to talk about yours first? Or should we try trading them off? Oh, let's try that. Okay, let's try that. Yeah. The first obsession I have, I think it's a shared obsession. Um, so we talked about coming back from Seattle. We actually, it took us almost like... 36 hours to come home uh, from Seattle. I'm still tired. Yeah. It was, it was rough. It was like, we left at 6 a.m. We flew from Seattle to Raleigh. Um, my eyes, my eyelids are getting heavy. We, uh, the flight was delayed. So we missed our connection back home. So then we had to fly the next day. So we got a hotel. We flew the next day from Raleigh to Cincinnati and then Cincinnati to Hartford. Brutal. 
Yes. The reason I'm talking about this is that we only had like five or six hours to sleep. And at one point, and we, we had like, we went to the gym to like work out. And then after we were done, we were both naked, just like learning Mandarin Chinese. I was like, this is, this is manic behavior. <laughs> and, and it was for like hours. But now we can. Now we're fluent. We're fluent. Mandarin Chinese. Would you so, like to say something in Mandarin? So I'm, that's why I'm really, I'm really excited about Mandarin. So I like, I'm obsessed with it. I want to, I want to be able to speak it. I think you you have a real knack for it. We are using YouTube videos to learn it. Um, but I think that Mary as a musician, this is maybe not rooted in any kind of research or reality, but I think Mary as a musician has a real advantage with it because it's a tonal language. So I think you can hear the, the tones really well. Thank you. I'd like to think so. You're very good at it too, you musical beast. Yes, <laughs> yes. Was that good? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's see. Uh, 你好，我要这个咖啡。It's <laughs> so so cute. It's so cute when you speak let's it. Say,我叫 Mary. 我叫 Wyatt. Yes. Okay. I so I don't man, know. Man. I don't know if we're any good at this. I know how to say. Uh, I want the bill. Okay. Let me see. Let me try it. Yao. My dan. Good, honey. Is that good? Yeah. My number one obsession. I swore this kind of stuff off for so long because I find it really macabre and upsetting. And um, I was kind of snobby about not watching or consuming any murder related content. It's too dark. It's too gross. I am completely obsessed with the like 1990s reality show Forensic Files, um, which was on for a really long time. And there's like just so many episodes um, and they're all on Netflix. And I remember they used to come on like CNN headline news in the middle of the night, just like over and over and over. I I can't stop watching it. I'm completely obsessed. And the ones that I like the most um, are when sounds weird to say I was going to say what I like the most is when people are being poisoned. <laughs> I, I don't know who I'm turning into. <laughs> so anyway, forensic files. And I just love the guy who narrates it is this guy named Peter Thomas. And he passed away recently. Oh. And so there's a really active forensic files subreddit. And but they're big time Peter Thomas loyalists. Mm. So they announced a new season of forensic files is coming next month. And like everybody on the subreddit was like, they're not, what are they going to, how are they going to replace Peter Thomas? I mean, he's just a legend, right? It would be like Johnny and Martha had a loving relationship with two kids in a beautiful house outside of Atlanta. But when Johnny started showing signs of early onset Alzheimer's, (laughs) forget it. That was really good. I don't think it's quite as good as my house hunter's voice. I'll debut that next week. Maybe. Maybe. Your next obsession. Okay, my next obsession is uh, working. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like I've been at, I've had such a weird sort of stagnant season. And today I went through like 150 emails. Excellent. uh, Which is a big deal. And um, I'm just, I feel really motivated. I feel really excited and like I know what I'm doing. And so all I can think about is work, 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 work. And you know what I was doing while you were working today? What? I was watching murder shows. <laughs> That's right. Um, actually, I was watching a kidnapping show. It was interesting, but I just, I, I want them to get to the nitty gritty. And there's yeah. no Peter Thomas on that captive show. So I'm just not as interested. <laughs> uh, my next obsession is... Uh, 
Okay. Joe Burrow's fucking stat line from last night. Do you know who he is, any? No. He's the quarterback for the LSU Tigers. The LSU Tigers, the football team for Louisiana State University, played Clemson last night yes. in the national championship game. And they they won. beat Clemson handily, 42-25. Wow. But Joe Burrow had a fucking insane stat line. I don't think anybody cares about this, except maybe LSU fans, cool Tigers. Um, but fans of college football, he was... he was 31 for 49. He threw for 463 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Oh my God. It was like a per- nearly perfect game. Holy um, shit. And he won the Heisman. I kind of think he might be, it might've been like one of the most impressive seasons for a college quarterback ever. He's going to be drafted hardcore. Yeah. I wonder who oh, he's yeah. going to play for. Um, they're saying that um, the Bengals are like tanking because mm. they want Joe Burrow, but oh, you know, who knows? Wow. Um, I don't know if that's true. Um, and, uh, Odell Beckham, who was is of course a wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns and formerly the New York Giants, um, he's a Baton Rouge native. He went to LSU. He played college football at LSU, and um, he was on the field last night after the game, just handing wads of cash to LSU players. Shut the front door. Which is probably a violation of their NCAA rules, but you know what? Who cares? I really I like the way. I love it looks. that. Yep, I just loved it. My last obsession is. The Bachelor's Back, Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm getting into it with you, baby. It is a delicious start to the season. We have drama. We have tears. We have dresses. We have champagne. champagne. We have champagne problems. We have champagne sprayed in the face. It is, I think, I mean... Kudos to the producers really crafting a delicious, tasty season, tantalizing trailers. Give me those previews. What happens at the end? What do you think of The Bachelor? What do you think I of think, him, Peter? I love, I think Peter's so endearing. Uh-huh. I think he's just a perfect, perfect choice for The Bachelor. Oh, I'm love still it. very salty about Rachel's season. I think Eric should have been The Bachelor. I think there's some like, some, I mean, like the. Bachelor franchise is incredibly problematic, but I have to kind of suspend all of all all rationale when I watch it. You know, do you think that Peter would be willing to um, be on our podcast? Yeah, or be the new the narrator for the new Forensic Files? That would that's something that could happen. You could bring together a favorite thing. That would be so sweet, honey. Um, I was just trying to make a connection. I wonder if he could um, throw the football like Joe Burrow. He, he looks like he could. He's very handsome. He's so handsome. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he seems like a real down-to-earth guy. He and does. I just, and I think he's hes being fair right now. I love the happiness that it brings you. Like, I love it. I love, like, Survivor and The Bachelor just do this thing to you where it's just your eyes just sparkle in this whole new way. It's just nothing else makes you that happy. I wish I could make you that happy. <laughs> okay, so my last obsession is um, the U.S. Postal Service's Wikipedia page. Yes, that's right. I started reading it on the plane, and I have become obsessed, and I've learned so much. I got to the USPS Wikipedia page via Forensic Files because there was an episode about... The Rajneeshis, they're the group, like the kind of religious cult that that Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country was based on. 
And um, they had a Forensic Files episode because they poisoned a bunch of salad bar salad bars in Oregon. Made a lot of people really, really, really sick. So I watched a Forensic Files episode, and I was reading about Rajneesh Param, which is the weird town in Oregon that the cult was living on. Are any of you still awake or paying attention? <laughs> and Rajneesh Param um, had his own post office. So naturally, I ended up on the USPS page. That's how I got there. That was a journey through the geography of a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Um, when's the last time you listened to a podcast that did that? Never. So the postal service is a legal monopoly. So it's competitors, you know, USPS and, or excuse me, UPS and FedEx are not allowed to deliver non-urgent mail. Did you know that? Um, they are not allowed to deliver mail unless it is marked urgent. So I'm talking like an article of mail that you could send in like a letter or something by the letter of their monopoly. So I think that they have ways around this. But in the past, the USPS has tried to enforce it. And they also U- UPS and FedEx are not allowed to deliver into U.S. mailboxes. So they're not U.S. UPS and FedEx are never Shut supposed to put anything in the mailbox. Up. I never realized that. So this monopoly is this enforced. Is it's so stupid. But. But the monopoly is enforced by the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, which has this weird amount of power. So in 1993, uh, the U.S. PIS, it's called, saw that Equifax was sending letters marked extremely urgent and they were sending them via FedEx. And they suspected that something was amiss, that something was foul in the state of Denmark or whatever, and that they weren't urgent. So they raided Equifax's offices and opened the letters and found, you know what? They're not urgent, and they find Equifax $30,000. And there's also a uh, postal police force that has 500 members. That is so cool. I learned all of those things via Wikipedia. Wow. That is really neat. I really appreciate it. I love we were on the plane, and I was like, I think I was reading, and I looked over, and I just saw the United States Postal Service as a Wikipedia page open on your computer. I just was like, what the fuck is going on? Doesn't it make loved it? Doesn't it make sense like the way that it got there? Yeah. Okay, so our next segment. Hey, it's the wild card segment. What is it gonna be? The wild card round. We're gonna talk about things that we invented. Yeah. Let's go. So I have three inventions. Uh, yeah. So these are hypothetical inventions. The only limit is our imagination. Exactly. And mine has no limit. Thank you very much. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You go first. I want to know. Okay. Um, my first invention is called Nest With Me with <laughs> an exclamation point at the end. It's a large human-sized nest or hammock type thing that you hang in the trees when you want to be with birds. That is so cute. Yep. Nest With Me exclamation point. Oh my God. What's your next one? My next one is Bird Mom also with an exclamation point. <laughs> It is a detachable dishwasher safe beak that you can attach to your face so you can experience what it's like to feed baby birds. Oh, God. Bird mom. My third invention is on, on a wing and a prayer! Exclamation point. And it's an app that will help you find a bird that you saw that you want to see again. Um, <laughs> I just farted. They're all bird related. You've got a bird brain. <laughs> hey! I'm just kidding. I resemble that remark. That's so cute. Okay, what I about- I love that they're all bird related. You like That's that? That's so cute. Would you wear your um, bird mom mask? Nope, nope. don't well, ask this question. <laughs> don't ask it. I know where you're going. Oh, you know nothing. 
Okay. Doing that. Lay it on me. What are your three inventions? Okay. Oh my god, I forgot one of my obsessions. Uh, Go ahead, it's never too late. Tell me. Okay. Uh, my last obsession is this app that I found. It's changing my life. I think it's part of the reason why I'm able to answer my emails and I feel so excited. It's changing my life too. Um, it's incredible. It's called Done. I don't know how I feel about the free ad, but you know what? Go ahead. (laughs) Um, and it's basically just like... I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm just obsessed with it. It's a healthy it. habit builder, and it's yeah. wonderful. It helps you, like, visualize habits you want to reinforce through the day. And you can tell it if you want the goal to be daily, like drinking more water. Um, or, you know, I ha- I put in mind that I want to stretch for five minutes three times a day. So just little goals that you want to meet. And it helps you to reinforce them in a way that's visually really appealing. It's so fun. And you press the plus button, and it makes a little sound. It's and the wonderful. I like it when it's a little, like... Like a little roll yes. of the drums. Oh. Um, and it's, I think that, I think that helps to reinforce how good it feels yes, to get your it stuff done. It is so satisfying. So wonderful. Um, and it's called a habit tracker, I've learned. That genre, oh. genre of apps, as Alex Trebek would say. Love it. Okay, so my inventions are. Lay it on me. Um, the first one is a three-way mirror. <laughs> oh, three ways? <laughs> yeah. What's the third way? It's you... The other person and God. Oh, wow. Tying it into the theme. Okay, you pointed up with, with God. God. <laughs> Aren't we always in a three-way mirror? Okay, what's your second <laughs> What's your second one? Okay, second one is possibly hazardous, a toilet paper warmer. <gasps> Where have you been all my life? <laughs> right, I I hate it when the toilet paper's cold. Me too. <laughs> Don't you just want it to be warm? But I feel like fire hazard. Maybe. Isn't it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, it's worth it. For comfort, <laughs> for convenience. Yes. Okay. Um, third one is dogs that never die. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. Just invented already. <laughs> Science. <laughs> I bring this up to you all the time. What is it? Is it something with Jeff Bezos? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I think it was, I don't remember who it was. I think maybe it was David Sedaris who said that um, getting a dog is um, investing in a slow tragedy. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> hey, you brought this, you brought up dead dogs. I, I did not. I said dogs that don't die. You don't have to think about it's that. It's the power of suggestion, honey. Okay, what did you think of this segment? Love this segment. I think it's very fun. What, how do you? How would you compare it to? You know what? No, we're moving on. Yeah, yeah. we're moving yeah, yeah. on. We're yeah, focused yeah. on the future, not the past. Yes. Um. Okay. Next segment is poems. Let's go. The poem I'm going to be reading today. <laughs> it's hard to say. No, go ahead. The poem I'm going to be reading today is called Pyramid Scheme. It's by Hera Lindsay Bird. I am a huge fan of this writer, and I highly recommend her books this yes it's called pyramid scheme it says for rwt the other day i was thinking about the term pyramid scheme and why they called it pyramid scheme and not triangle scheme and i asked you what you thought you thought it added a certain gravitas and linked the idea of economic prosperity with some of history's greatest architectural achievements unconsciously suggesting a silent wealth of gold and heat 
A triangle is two-dimensional and therefore a less striking mental image than the idea of a third dimension of financial fraud, which is how many dimensions of financial fraud the term pyramid scheme suggests. <laughs> but I had to pause for a second at the financial fraud part because it occurred to me I didn't know what pyramid schemes really were. I knew they had something to do with people getting money from nothing, like the person at the top of the pyramid scheme, or more accurately, triangle scheme, acquires a number of investors and takes their money and then pays the first lot of investors with the money from another bunch of investors and so on and so forth. All the way to the bottom of the triangle or pyramid face, which is the kind of stupid thing that happens if you keep your money in a pyramid and not a bank account. Although if you ask me, banks are the real pyramid schemes after all. <laughs> or was love the real pyramid scheme? I can't remember. Maybe it's better to keep your money in a pyramid than a bank. And I should shop around and compare the interest rates on different pyramids. Maybe I should open up a savings pyramid with a whole bunch of trap doors and malarias to keep the financial anthropologists, I mean bankers, out. My emeralds cooling under the ground like beautiful women's eyes. I think this was supposed to be a metaphor for something but I can't remember where I was going with it. Mm -hmm. And now it's been swept away by the winds of whatever. But knowing me, it was probably love. That great dark blue sex hope that keeps coming true. That cartoon black castle with a single flying bird over it. I don't know where this poem ends, how far below the sand, but it's still early evening and you and I are a little drunk you answer the phone. You pour me a drink. I know you hate the do domestic and poetry, but you should have thought of that before you invited me to move in with you. I used to think arguments were the same as honesty. I used to think screaming was the same as passion. I used to think pain was meaningful. I no longer think pain is meaningful. I never learned anything good from being unhappy. I never learned anything good from being happy either. The way I feel about you has nothing to do with learning. It has nothing to do with anything, but I feel it down in the corners of my sarcophagus. I feel it in my sleep. Even when I am not thinking about you, you are still pouring through my blood like fire through an abandoned hospital ward. These coins are getting heavy on my eyes. It has been a great honor and privilege to love you. It has been a great honor and privilege to eat cold pizza on your steps at dawn. Love is so stupid. It's like punching the sun and having a million gold coins rain down on you, which you don't even have to pay tax on because sun money is free money. And I'm pretty sure there are no laws about that, but I would pay tax because I believe that hospitals and education and the arts should be publicly funded. Even this poem. When I look at you, my eyes are two identical neighborhood houses on fire. When I look at you, my eyes bulge out of my skull like a dog in a cartoon. When I am with you, an enormous silence descends upon me, and I feel like I am sinking into the deepest part of my life. We walk down the street with the grass blowing back and forth. I have never been so happy. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a really good one. I just love that one. I just love how it just, it tricks you. Yeah, it's there's like, a really neat shift in the I middle mean, of it. I mean, the shift happens, and I, th- I like, when I read it, I, like, want to tell, I want to tell my, like, the listener just, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, yeah, just like, it's wait, coming. Wait, it's coming. Hold on. <laughs> bear, bear with me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and I th- it just makes the, yeah, something about, like, how innocent that musing kind of feels, like how neutral and 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 like fun that musing kind of feels about the pyramid versus the triangle and yeah it's just devastating yeah um oh it's so beautiful i'm so excited to know what you're gonna read um i am thank you for sharing that poem baby it's absolutely gorgeous um you read me that poem on our first date i remember that or after our first date yeah i think it was after yeah i think i think it was on our first date in my in my version of the story, it was okay. Yeah, it's a sad one to read on the first date, but I like that you did. No, what? She's because she's like so in love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, you think? Yes. Oh wow! I read it as being as as being. I think it's devastating. Really? Yeah, totally. Very interesting. Let's crowdsource it. Let's ask people what they think. I think, but I remember, like, I was, I was thrilled that you shared it with me, though. Like, it was something I feel like I felt like I needed to hear when you shared it. I'm shocked. Really? I think it's one of the most beautiful love poems ever. Really? Wow. Maybe I think maybe it's like a testament to like where I was with thinking about love at that time. No, but I'm, I'm trying. I think maybe. Maybe it could be, it's like, can be seen both ways. I love things like that, though. Oh, like, it just too. depends That's based art. on your perspective, <laughs> so right? Yeah. Um, I am uh, going to read a uh, poem by um, a trans poet named T.C. Tolbert. Mm-hmm. He's a, uh, do you know him? Mm-mm. He's uh, like a queer activist and a uh, poet and has all these like, I think really sweet, neat, interesting queer love poems. Um, and um, these really interesting poems that are addressed to his dead name, which I think are really neat, mm. but this is not one of those. This is a poem called Thaw. Mm. You said, I will pull you out of my body in 237 ways. What you wanted was beautifully to sever things. Here, love, the same things changed. Finally, a taxonomy of afterthoughts, as though you were the one who was sleeping, breathing in the marrow of wood. You who are a valley of no, I hear the music leaking. How she, how she, how I. You say low key and I do not believe you. I forgive everything, the preservation of skin. My hands that are a chopping block and I cannot touch him. I cannot touch him without touching. Yeah. I cannot touch him without not touching me. Because if you leave and you are already leaving, there are three. But you say less than three. And the couch in your absence is crenellated. And who is going to watch us as we leave? Mm. To add to the list of changing things, life preservers are no longer about preservation. They have become less holy. PFD, personal flotation device, endlessly possible, unlike wood. Stacy Mayfowles wants a lover who will hit her. I do not believe in submission. I want you to erase me. This is a kindness, a kindness, you tell me, a kindness I do not deserve. On the floor, by the bed, Hotel Congress, March 19th, 2005, room number 23, We are a long way from disintegrated. Mm -hmm. You said, now, look at me. And I did. And you bloomed. When my mother died, I will say, many years after my mother has died. 
but I will not believe her. I'll be like my grandmother who, despite my parade of girlfriends and her profession that nobody should be mean to them, still doesn't believe in being queer. Mm. I don't believe in being dead, I'll tell my dead mother. And just like you, she'll repeat herself. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New. I expect there will be a morning when you walk up to this very gate while I'm sitting here. I know this. I know you less each time I see you. I know this like I know you're more lonely than glass. To your languishing, to your bubbly, to your recent, to your hologram, to your desperately, to your seeking, to your dictaphone, to your you. Neuromuscular facilitation is just another way of saying Vancouver. Always is yet a matter of roller derby. Just in love with you. You more than sleep. In the top drawer is a photograph of them touching. It is not so much that it's a photograph. It is that it is a... It is that it is a depiction of what not could. I want to tell you about my body, about testosterone as unwitting art historian, Mm. about recovery, men, what it feels like underneath there. Either way, it's a house. It's a house like everyone else has. I take things away. I don't take them for good. How delirious we must sound when we're falling. I miss you. You can't even imagine. And how bad at math. Less than three, less than three, less than three. (laughs) And what if I completely remember it wrong? What if I remember there were two of us? And then what if there is only one death? I do not believe in the existence of holes that lead to nowhere. Muscle memory remains an enigma. Still, you can touch her. You cannot touch her without not touching me. And still, you are not not a part of me. The world is uncharacteristically unresponsive. I could thank you. You stay with me like grass. Mom. Isn't that so special? Thank you so much for reading that. I think we both read, I think actually our two, because I think this kind of, the one was kind of the same way. Yeah. I think it could be like, depending on my mood, like really nihilistic. I was really sad. Yeah. Or like a really beautiful love poem. Yeah. You know what? Wait, 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 no, wait, 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 please, because this is okay. Oh, it's like, um, there's this, you know, I love Philip Glass. Yeah. There's this, um, there's this Philip Glass piece where this guy is, um, over this like really dramatic violin is saying, how much do I love you? Number the stars in the sky, you know, measure the ocean with the teaspoon, count the grains of sand on the beach. Impossible, you say? And depending on my mood, that either sounds so depressing, like it's impossible to love somebody that much. Don't expect that. Or I hear it's impossible for me to tell you how much I love you. Right. And I love that. It's like the painting of the woman's faces with the vase. Right. You know? Or that one time I said, I think I texted you or said to you over the phone, I said, I can't love you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I thought about using that as a, like with my grammar students, actually. <laughs> oh, I love it. But, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just thinking the last line of your poem was something about the grass, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh-huh. The last line, we walked down the street with the, Grass blowing back and forth. I've never been so happy. Wow. It's very interesting. I mean, grass is like everywhere and ubiquitous and neutral. And I don't think it's an accident. I think, I think those are supposed to be read either way. I think, I think you're right. From your favorite literature scholars. (sighs) Thanks for listening. Just kidding. We can't, that was a abrupt. (laughs) Did we do everything? We did all of our, we did all of our stuff. Okay. 
Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Feel the rhythm of the music getting stronger. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Beat conga. Bye. <laughs> you can't leave Why me. Why can't we? It just, it feels. Why can't we end it on bye? It feels like it comes out of nowhere and it feels rude. But we just sang a song. It's not, but it's not a goodbye song. Our goodbye song is. is goodbye. 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 <laughs> we love you guys. Love y'all. Bye.